Pumpkin Cast, episode 11. Yo, open your mouth and taste. Open your eyes and see how good God is. Blessed are you who run to Him. Yo, God is good. I see Him working every day. He's ever present and He's never gonna lead you astray. God is good. We gotta quit being so passe. Proclaim His grace. We can never, ever, ever repay. Look around at the sun, the beach, and the bay. Blue skies, the nice lady working at the cafe. All around His creation, it's on display. Declaring glory in the midst of all the decay. So take some time out from your busy day and thank God for the goodness that comes your way. Yes, indeed, God is good, and welcome to another episode of DeaconCast.net. This is Deacon Bill O'Donnell, who will be your host for this series. And if you recall our last series, we left off at the Prayers of the Faithful, which effectively ends the Liturgy of the Word. And so now we are ready to begin to prepare ourselves for the high point of the Liturgy when we receive Jesus in His full body, blood, soul, and divinity in the Holy Eucharist. And just like the way we are at Mass, we began with prayers to help us to prepare to hear the Scriptures. We have a number of prayers and rituals in the Eucharistic uh, liturgy that uh, help us to focus on what's going on at the altar. And just as our participation in the Liturgy of the Word was centered on opening ourselves fully to the Word of God, we prepare ourselves now to join our sacrifices with the sacrifice of our Lord Jesus Christ that is offered at the Mass. On the night before he died, Jesus took bread and wine, and he instructed his apostles to do this in commemoration of him. And so he blessed the bread, he blessed the wine, and instructs us, the church, to do this in memory of him. And what happens here is a reality. And reflecting on this, St. Paul said to the Corinthians, For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. And so this part of the Mass begins with something that seems rather simple. We take up a collection. And we are going to pass the basket, or pass the hat, as it were. Today we take and collect the money to help support the church, keeping the lights on, the air conditioning on in the summer, the heat in the winter, maintaining decent windows, paying our taxes if we have any. And the collection also goes toward charitable works. It allows us to be able to feed the hungry, clothe the naked, take care of the poor through the church itself. We might have collections that help to defray the cost of our seminarians. We have collections to help with the retired priests, the retired religious in our community. All of these people, the poor, the retired, the underemployed, they all rely on us in their hardships and as Christ is present among us, we act as Christ in giving generously, according to our means, 
for these things. In the past, however, Christians would bring their money, yes, and give that at this time, but they would also bring any number of things, especially if they had little money. Perhaps it would be produce, pomegranates, figs, uh, oranges, apples. Perhaps it would be animals, meat, things that were given at this sacrifice with one intention to help to feed the priest and to be distributed to the poor and those in need. Certainly the priest could not eat an entire lamb, but a number of people could. It is interesting that Tertullian describes this as early as the 300s, and he says this, quote, Everyone puts in a small donation, but only if they want to, and only if they are able, for there is no compulsion, all is voluntary. These gifts are like piety's deposit fund, for they are not taken from there and spent on parties, drinking binges, and foods uh, for our own pleasure, but to support and bury poor people, to supply the wants of orphan boys and girls who have no possessions, and of homebound old people and those who have suffered shipwreck. And if there happen to be any in the mines, or banished to the islands, or shut up in the prisons, for nothing but their fidelity to the cause of God's church, they become the nurslings of their confession. And we can see the necessity of giving uh, our resources for the church, and this is exemplified in Scripture, in particular in Matthew 17, 24-27, where Jesus is asked about paying the temple tax and he sends Peter to get a coin from the mouth of a fish to pay his tax and Peter's. We also see it in Luke 21, 1 through 4, in the story of the widow's might, where the widow gave such a small amount, but gave all that she had. And Christ praises her as giving more than the wealthy. And of course, in 1 Corinthians, we understand that Paul was taking up a collection for the church in Rome that was greatly in need. And so we have uh, biblical and scriptural example to do that. Now, while this collection is being taken up, uh, a couple of other things are going on. We often hear uh, an offertory hymn or a piece of music at this time. And you'll also notice that at the altar, the deacon, or if the deacon is not present, the priest will be sort of, well, I guess we'd call it setting the altar, but we are preparing the altar. Uh, we place certain cloths on the altar. Now, the, the altar already has an altar cloth. So what we're going to place is first called a corporal, and it is a large square portion of white cloth. The corporal is, as its name states, which means body, uh, the place where we place all of what we are going to have consecrated uh, to the body and blood of Christ. So the bread, the wine, the cups all sit on the corporal. We also put down a purificator, or in the case of having more than one Eucharistic minister if we are going to distribute the precious blood. We will put down a number of pure 
purificators. Purificators are a smaller version of the corporal, and they are used to uh, cleanse the uh, sacred vessels. We also put the chalice, the main chalice that the priest will be using to consecrate the wine into the blood of Christ. We place any other chalices that we might have for, say, distribution to the congregation on this corporal as well. We also open the sacramentary and set it to its proper place. The sacramentary is the book that contains all of the prayers for that day's Mass. It does not contain the scripture readings that is found in the lectionary and the book of the Gospels, as was explained previously. But it has the prayers, the prefaces, the Eucharistic prayers, uh, a special set of prayers for that particular day, for instance, the 20th Sunday in Ordinary Time, so that is placed on the altar, and that is placed either to the left or to the right, depending on the priest's preference. Uh, I've done it both ways, but most of the time it tends to be to the left. After the monetary collection is gathered, we come to a very symbolic and very important action of the people. We had a procession at the beginning of Mass to celebrate and to, to welcome us to the Mass. And so now we also have a procession of the things that we've offered so that they might be brought to the Eucharistic table. And this is normally done by members of the parish. It might be just the ushers. It might be a family. Uh, sometimes in some parishes the person or persons are asked right beforehand. Other times they are scheduled. But nonetheless, they need to be someone from the congregation because of the symbolic nature of what is about to happen. My friends, when we come to this part, we've given our hard-earned money and put it in the basket. But we're asked to give more than that. In fact, it is essential that we give more than that. We come to this time, we have gathered our prayers and petitions publicly and privately at the end of the Liturgy of the Word. But now we take our concerns, our everything that we are, our happiness, our sadness, our joys, our miseries, our hurts, our confusions, our questions, our joys, and we offer them to God. And symbolic of that offering is the bread and the wine that will accompany that monetary collection. You see, it's not just bread and wine that come to the altar for consecration, but it is our very selves, symbolically and to some degree in reality. For we are the makers of bread and wine, we are the laborers, we are those who, who struggle and succeed in our daily lives that flow out of, or should flow out of, the Eucharist itself. And so when these gifts are brought forward, they are received by the priest and the deacon, or the priest alone, or the deacon alone. It really just depends on local custom. Um, in our parishes, both the priest and the deacon 
go down to receive the gifts. The priest receives the gifts himself first and then hands them to myself, the deacon, uh, as a sign that he is the one who is going to be offering this sacrifice in persona Christi, in the person of Christ, at the altar. And so the gifts of ourselves need to be given to that person. Uh, if they were given to the deacon by himself, they would still be given to the celebrant through the deacon. So the symbolism is still there. It's intact. The gifts are taken to the altar, and we begin a set of short rituals and responses and dialogue with the people. Now you need to know that if music is still playing at this time, some of these prayers won't be audible. The priest will say them uh, silently. But if the music has ended, then they will be audible. And that is the difference between the parishes and how they do this. Neither is right or wrong. They are both correct. So the priest lifts up the bread, and that is on what we call a paten. A paten is a uh, precious metal bowl, preferably of gold, and it holds the hosts that will be consecrated at that table, at that altar. And so the priest lifts up the paten and the bread, and he praises God and says, quote, Blessed are you, Lord God of all creation, for through your goodness we have received the bread we offer, fruit of the earth and work of human hands. It will become for us the bread of life. And when we hear the end of that prayer, our response is, Blessed be God forever. During this, the deacon, if he is present, would be pouring the wine into the chalice and adding a little drop of water to that wine. Now that drop of water has a lot of symbolism, and we'll get to that in just a minute. But I want to talk about the silent prayer, just briefly, uh, that is said when the water is placed in the chalice. Quote, By the mystery of this water and wine, may we come to share in the divinity of Christ, who humbled himself to share in our humanity. If the deacon is not present, of course, then the priest would place that drop of water and say that silent prayer. The priest now takes the chalice and elevates it as well, and he pronounces a similar blessing, quote, Blessed are you, Lord God of all creation, for through your goodness we have received the wine we offer you, fruit of the vine and work of human hands. It will become our spiritual drink. And our response, of course, is, Blessed be God forever. Now, if you'll take a moment to look at the altar when you make that acclamation after the elevation of the wine, you will see that the priest makes a private prayer. Maybe they will bend forward a little bit towards the chalice. Uh, sometimes it's, you know, you can see what they're doing, sometimes you can't. But this is what's going on at the altar in the priest's heart after the elevation of the chalice. He makes this prayer quietly. Quote, With humble spirit and contrite heart, may we be accepted by you, O Lord, and may our sacrifice in your sight this day be pleasing to you, Lord God. Now notice that this is not a, pr a prayer for the sacrifice that's being offered by the priest. It is our prayer, our sacrifice, 
our gift. And so this sort of really ties together that whole idea of us bringing ourselves and giving of ourselves uh, in the bread and the wine. Next, the priest does a ritual hand washing. Now, ritual hand washings uh, were extraordinarily common in Christ's time. In fact, uh, the Pharisees questioned why his disciples did not wash their hands before they ate. It was strictly ritual. There, the idea of understanding disease and passing on of disease just wasn't there. So it was a ritual washing, a making pure of yourself in order to receive the food that you have just had blessed. And so the priest washes his hands and he says, says another quiet prayer. Wash me, O Lord, from my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. And from there he returns to face the congregation. He puts his hands out and then he joins his hands and says, Pray, brethren, that our sacrifice and yours may be acceptable to God, the Almighty Father. And you notice that brings in our gifts again, my sacrifice and yours. The people will reply, May the Lord accept the sacrifice at your hands for the praise and glory of his name, for our good and for the good of all his holy church. And so notice again that this is a prayer not just for us, but this sacrifice is for the entire church. And there are so many things that have gone on over the last uh, five minutes of the Mass or less. Uh, they're historical and spiritual and representative of things. You need to know here that when the blessing of the bread and the wine occurs, it is the prayer of Jewish people even used today at the Sabbath but very close to the prayer, I'm sure, that Jesus prayed at the Last Supper, at that Passover meal. Blessed are you, Lord our God, King of the universe, who creates the fruit of the earth. Blessed are you, Lord our God, King of the universe, creator of the fruit of the vine. And you know, archaeologists have found these particular blessings among the ruins of synagogues during the first millennium. And so it is part of our Jewish heritage that these prayers are said. The mingling of the water and wine is also rich in history and in symbolic interpretations. In historical reasoning, it was a very practical thing to do. You see, people of the Mediterranean often made wine that was pretty much undrinkable in that it was fairly concentrated in its, in its uh, consistency. And so water would be mixed with the wine so that it might be more easily consumed. And, but symbolically, we have a lot more going on. And I refer to some ancient writings here. First one would be from Saint Irenaeus of Lyon in France. And he saw that the mixture was a symbol of the union of the human and the divine natures of Christ, fully human and fully divine. Like our water and wine, they were so close as to be inseparable. And that's why we call it the mingling of the water and the wine. 
Uh, it's not something that is easily separated, or even possibly separated by normal means. Several decades later, St. Cyprian, uh, who lived in North Africa, saw the mixture as a symbol of the communion of Christ with his church. Again, so close as to, not be, in, as to be indistinguishable from one another. And down the centuries, many saints have seen the mixture of wine and water as a vivid image of the blood and water that poured forth. It is at this time that on special occasions, the priest might offer incense at this time, and incense the gifts and the altar and the processional cross. This has deep historical and uh, spiritual meaning as well. The peoples from ancient times, in fact, peoples of all religions, have used incense. And we get our idea of using it here from the uh, 141st Psalm. Let my prayer be counted as incense before thee. And then, of course, the references in Revelation uh, that the incense are the prayers of the saints, which are us in this case, as well as the saints in heaven. And then from there, what we would do is incense the people. After the priest is incensed by the deacon or by the altar server, if there is no deacon, the incense is brought to the foot of the altar or the foot of the sanctuary, depending on the layout of the, of the church. The person holding the censer bows to the congregation. The congregation returns the bow. It is a greeting, more or less, but an act of respect for one another. The person will now incense the people and by swinging the censer in, in the direction of the congregation. He will bow after the incensing, and then the congregation will bow in return. Uh, once again, uh, an exchange of, of pleasantries, as it were, uh, and acknowledging the dignity of each other as baptized Christians. In the priest's washing of his hands, we recall uh, from the pages of Scripture the first person to be called a priest, Melchizedek, who lifts his offering of bread and wine. The priest also stands at the altar as the priests of the Jerusalem temple stood at their altar of sacrifice in the time of Jesus. It was customary for them to be ritually washed at least their hands, a very baptismal image, signifying his wish to be cleansed of his sins and being able to offer the sacrifice worthily. You'll recall that the instructions of Timothy in the first letter of Timothy is this, quote, It is my wish, then, that in every place the men should pray, lifting up holy hands. Holy hands are clean hands, and everyone in the Greek and Jewish world then would know that they meant the same thing. And in the priest's prayer that the gifts be accepted, the sacrifice at our hands, we respond to that invitation of the presider by asking God to accept the sacrifice that we offer at the hands of the priest. We then ask for specific benefits from this sacrifice that is being offered. Specifically, we ask that the Lord accept this sacrifice for the praise of his holy name, for our own good, 
and the good of all God's people. And so it's important to realize that what we are doing here is not just for us. My friends, this brings us to the end of the first introductory rites to the Eucharistic prayer, and we are already considerably over time. And so I invite you to listen to the next episode where we will discuss more in depth the preface prayer uh, that the priest makes and the sanctus, or the holy, holy, holy that we pray. Until then, shalom and peace be with you. I praise Jesus for his labor of love. It makes me smile that he's in the hook and the beat. And in the words that are flowing from my lyric sheet. It ain't easy, but I'm trying to abide. And thank him for all the gifts he provides. I hope my words are clear and not misunderstood. I'm simply saying that I know that my God is good. He's good yesterday. He's good today. And he's good forever. That's all I got.